We are back here with Front Office U Fridays, here with a special guest, but before we send the attention to him, we'll bring in our, our co-host here, Ryan. How's everything going today? Yeah, doing great, Victor. Super excited for uh, today's Front Office U Friday episode. Uh, we have, as you said, a, an awesome guest, a, a guy who's got a ton of experience working in and around uh, you know, sports, so super excited to uh, hear from, uh, from Jeff Mirander today, our guest, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, getting going. Absolutely. We're excited. Uh, both Ryan and I actually reached out to Jeff over LinkedIn. So as you can tell, networking does work. And uh, to be honest, you know, I heard a lot of great things before um, talking to Jeff for the first time. So wanted uh, to do that. But let's uh, enter our guest here. Jeff, how's everything going today? Super. Thanks for having me. And it's great catching up. It's been a while. Uh, absolutely. We're, we're excited to have you on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. I know uh, both Ryan and I, since we last spoke, we were in kind of two different positions and now are, um, you know, continuing to grow our career as well as you're growing your career. So starting from the, the basics, you're you're now a, a big man, uh, CEO with, with ALSD. Um, can you kind of talk to us about like that organization and kind of what drew you into to obviously um, working for them? Sure. I was uh, very familiar with them because when I worked on the team side, uh, with various professional uh, organizations. I used to go to the conference, the LSD conference every year. And so uh, they've carved out a niche where they like to have it uh, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday after the 4th of July. And so I would schedule my family um, commitments around that and be able to attend. So um, when I, a year ago, October, when I decided I was going to leave sports after a 35 year career, and pivot to um, something on the periphery, I uh, got a call uh, asking me if I would be interested in being a CEO and part owner of, of ALSD if uh, if this silent majority owner would would acquire it. And I said, absolutely, count me in. Um, and, I, and I shared a little bit of feedback why I was excited about that. Um, you know, for me, that 35-year career in sports was fantastic. It never felt like a job until uh, the very end um, during the pandemic. And part of that was because I was commuting back and forth from Arizona to Ottawa. And every time I crossed that Canadian border, I had to do a 14-day quarantine. So when you're stuck in your house and you can only go as far to, uh, as far as your front door, and you're, you do that for 84 days of quarantine, you know, your, your family's not too happy about about that. And certainly it's a, a, a grind, but I knew, uh, you know, I would still be there today if it weren't for a lot of the restrictions and everything, I would have, wouldn't have left sports. But uh, when the opportunity came along for ALSD, I, I jumped at it. Um, not only, you know, for the role and, and the position um, as part owner, but also that I was able to stay in Scottsdale. I have a, a junior in high school, so we didn't want to move her. And uh, so for us, it was it was a, a, a natural, uh, you know, I, tr I trust the, the majority owner. I also have a great um, relationship with Bill Dorsey, the founder, known him for years, and Amanda Bierhoff, who's our president and owner for about 15 years. Again, I've been part of that conference, so I've walked, uh, walked in, in their shoes. And so very excited to take this uh, take this uh, initiative and and really try to grow it not only ALSD here in in the states but also um, ALSD international and so 
that's been a, an interesting twist for me because ironically, I started to build up my contacts through LinkedIn in Europe uh, even before this opportunity presented itself. So it was it was nice to be able to see some of these people face-to-face -face at the LSD conference in, uh, in London this past October. Absolutely. It's it's exciting kind of going back to like LinkedIn, right? Like you network with people who maybe not weren't in the, the U.S. at the time and internationally. And I think that's something that Ryan and I have you know, have done that as well. Um, sometimes it's them reaching out to us. Sometimes it's us reaching out to them. Um, but, you know, it goes back to like you went to the, you know, their, their conference that they had um, back when you were working, um, you know, with the sports sports organizations and doing it each year. Uh, which shows you that like you build those connections, like you never know when um, an opportunity might arise there. And obviously 35 plus years of experience and, and more to it, right. Um, is, is pretty, pretty crazy. I think Ryan and I, you know, we're like entering year two. So we, we have a ways until we, we get there, but um, it's, it's exciting. What I've always liked about both of you is that you've been open to, to reaching out or taking that call or answering that email. Right. And, and if you're open to doing that in terms of networking, you just never know. It's a much smaller world than you could imagine, right? Like I never dreamt that I would be meeting a lot of these people that I linked in with years ago, that I would actually meet them face-to-face -face at an ALSD international conference. You know, it's just the small world. But, you know, one of the things that I did uh, when I was at the National Hockey League is so many of the clubs get bombarded by different um, entities, vendors, if you will. Um, every week you're getting two, three, three people that are trying to get a piece of you, right? And so you're focused, as you, as you guys know, you've been there, and you're focused on your job and you're in the day-to-day -day grind that that can be. And, and really, um, particularly in season, there's not too much time or bandwidth to be able to vet uh, a new technology or a new sales or service trainer or what have you. And so when I worked for the league and crossed over, the only time I ever crossed over from the team side, um, the advisory board of, of ticketing asked me, said, is there any way that you can start vetting some of these people for us, knowing sort of what the league's one voice strategy positioning was? Um, and so I, I set up about nine different buckets of, of, vendors or commercial entities and i started vetting them and seeing if they could help us grow grow the league and and the business uh whether it was on the league side or the or the club side and so i i did that back in um back in 07 uh 08 season and i haven't stopped since so even though i went back to the to the team side with arizona coyotes i took the time for those calls and for those emails to learn more about what might be able to help us. And in some instances, you know, you invest 30 minutes of your time and it didn't go anywhere, but in other instances, it really paid off for us. And, um, and I see it here with ALSD. I, I haven't stopped. I mean, I've been doing it for all those years now it becomes habitual. Um, you know, I've actually sat with other organizations in the back of the room taking notes of a sales trainer to see if they could help the NHL clubs at the time I was, uh, I was vetting them. And so it didn't matter, you know, who they were training because, you know, in sports, it's, it's somewhat universal. And a lot of the, 
the premise, but you know, you got to have that open openness to, or the want to be able to do that. And, you know, I still keep in touch with you guys, but I keep in touch with a lot of people, some that are still in, in, in colleges or universities. Um, and what's interesting is it doesn't always have to be, you know, a reason a call it could be, uh, well, I just read an article of interest and someone will send that to me and I'm like, that's fascinating because I missed it. You know, you're, you're, now I'm trying to read worldwide, not just in North America, right? So, um, but you gotta, you gotta want to invest that time and you want to be open about it. And, you know, in the beginning, uh, when I first got into the business, I, I, I had to network and that, you know, a lot of these professional sports teams were much, much smaller and the technology wasn't there. You know, we, we didn't have email when I first started, right? We had one computer for the entire department, but you have to, you know, have to take a chance sometimes. And for me, the first time that I truly networked was to get my role as a manager for Boston University Hockey my junior and senior year. And, and the way I did that was I um, worked for the Hartford Whalers, um, now Carolina Hurricanes, but uh, first in-house inside sales staff in the history of the NHL. And so I raised my hand and I'm like, how can I get that job? I saw the owner of the team in the Hartford Civic Center Mall on the second floor waiting pregame for, for the doors to open. And I knew a little bit about him. Like, I've got to go up there and introduce myself. And, and I did. And ironically, I was wearing a Boston Bruins jersey. So the, the battle of New England, right? Here, here I am wearing a jersey of the opposing team. And I have to go up and talk to him and try to ask him for a job. Um, but he, he said, hey, send me your resume and, and we'll see what we can do. And I thought, surely it's going to end up in a circular file. No. Howard Baldwin, owner of then Hartford Whalers, forward that along to the number two person in that team. And he called me up and he said, we'd like to interview for the first inside sales department in the history of uh, the NHL. Now it wasn't the first in sports The as I understand it was St. Louis Cardinals, but I always often look back and say, what if I didn't go up to, to the second floor to introduce myself and, and ask them some questions and really seek direction. I was just trying to find like, how do I do it? Right. But that that then, once I established myself there during the summer, I was able to then use my contacts at the Hartford Whalers, who had a history of an association with Boston University Hockey. Assistant general manager, coach there. We had players that played there. And I was able to use that to then um, join the, you know, the men's hockey team my junior and senior year. So you just never know when karma can boomerang for you. Yeah, no doubt about that. Great insight from you on that, Jeff. You know, so often on our show or, you know, when we have interactions with other people that are early on in their career in sports, you know, they're asking us those questions. How did you kind of find your way, find your route, find your path early on when your network was small? And like you said, you know, a lot of times it's just kind of being persistent, putting yourself in, in the right spot so that you, you know, can be able to interact with the right people or ask the right questions. And you touched on some of your experience that you had while working for the NHL specifically, Jeff. And I know before that time, a lot of your experience had kind of come on in maybe an individual team, uh, you know, kind of level. 
But what was some of that new perspective that you were able to gain once you were able to work from a lead perspective where you had a handful of teams that you were able to kind of make an impact on? And I thought it was interesting just now when you mentioned that the league kind of has likes to have, you know, one voice and you're able to have that consistency uh, between organizations. Talk a little bit about some of that perspective that you were able to gain once you were able to get some experience working from, you know, the National Hockey League, uh, you know, level. What a great, what a great question, Ryan. Um, it was, uh, initially it was a, a culture shock for me to go from the team side to the league side. But what I found out very quickly was at the time, there weren't a lot of NHL employees that had come from the team side. So you, you had your team hat and you had your league hat and you were able to walk in the shoes of, of your clients. I mean, for me, uh, I started off at the National Hockey League as a member of um, NHL um, club services and so consulting, club consulting and services. And so uh, it was like the equivalent of NBA team, but only much, much smaller. So I would work with the league uh, uh, in New York, say Monday, Friday, and on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd be traveling to one of eight clubs that I had. And I got to pick um, seven out of those eight. Um, and I chose them wisely because I wanted to work with teams that I was familiar with or markets that I had lived in or people that I had worked with previously that I knew and trust. Um, so it was a, a lot easier transition once I, I got into working with the teams. But um, you didn't have the day-to-day responsibilities of games, right? Because you're working for the league, you're, you're Switzerland, you're neutral. So you could go to the Islander games or Devils games or the Rangers games or catch a game when you're you're visiting one of your clubs. Um, but, you you know, I didn't cheer. I didn't root for anybody. I didn't like it was totally different uh, dynamic. But what, one of the best things I, I thought was uh, great about the league is they um, if you raise your hand to volunteer, they were more than willing to accept that 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 help. And it's interesting because when I look back at the Whalers. I, I volunteered. I was a ticket sales and service and ops guy, and I volunteered to help out with the junior, junior Whalers club because it was fun for me, you know, never realizing that years later I would be put in charge of community relations uh, with just that as the experience. Uh, but the same thing happened, Ryan, at the at the league. And in, in so far as, you know, I had my role and then, um, we it morphed into ticketing strategy across all the clubs, which was great. But I remember our NHL events department having serious um, crunch uh, time uh, with respect to getting ready for the Winter Classic at Fenway Park. And so for weeks leading up to that, um, I asked my teammates, hey, do you guys need any help? And they said, oh, we, we would love to have some assistance, for, particularly because you have ticket ops experience, right, and service and sales. And so I would do my day job. And then for the last couple hours, I would volunteer before I caught my train home and I would help my teammates out. But I would check my title at the door, right, because I outranked every, everybody that I worked with. I'd check my title at the door, roll up my sleeves and, and help them out. And then in the end, they asked me, are you going to be at the game in Boston? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. I have a family re reunion north of Boston in Andover, and I'm taking both my brothers and my brother-in-law to the game. We're sitting in the right field um, bleachers, if you will. And uh, 
they, I said, why do you ask? And they said, because we could use the help uh, at least uh, pregame and maybe even into the first period. I said, consider it done. I'll do whatever you, you need. So I showed up early uh, while they hit the, you know, all the funds and, and the fun and games and uh, showed up early and helped them out. And uh, everything went off uh, without a hitch. And I was able to enjoy the game with my family, second to third period. The silver lining of all that is a short time later, the, the gentleman, Don Renzulli, who ran the NHL events, came to me and said, how would you like to oversee um, NHL events ticketing and work hand in hand with Carol Coppola, who was just as experienced in her own right. I mean, she had come from the New York Jets many, many years in the, in the industry. And I said, you mean have two jobs at the NHL? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, great. I had an office up on the 14th floor from a strategy standpoint and had a, a boss there. And then I had a boss from NHL events down on the 11th floor where they gave me a workstation uh, in the ticket office. So sometimes I was on 14th floor, sometimes on the 11th, sometimes <laughs> the same day. But you don't get it. You don't get that opportunity to broaden your horizon if you don't raise your hand to volunteer. And it was the best year. I mean, yes, doing two full-time jobs was a lot of work, but it was the best. I, I look back fondly and say that's the best year that I had because I was doing so much and it was fresh and it kept you excited. And you had that passion for for learning and, and really branching out. And so it was quite different. I made a pact with my wife that we would go to the league for two years, earn our doctorate, so to speak. And then go back to the team side. Well, I stayed for six. I stayed for six until the Arizona Coyotes uh, new ownership group at the time recruited me to go back to the team side, which was uh, an ideal fit for us because, you know, it's like Connecticut West for me. My parents retired out here 20 years ago. My Both my sisters are out here, my aunt, my niece. So not only did it fit professionally, but personally, it was a good uh, good move to get our daughter closer to the grandparents, but it was a fascinating, I'm so glad I did it. A lot of people will not cross over either way. People that work at the league stay there. Don't go team side or vice versa. For me, it was a tr true honor and a really unique perspective to see it on, on both sides. Yeah, no doubt. Really awesome to hear your perspective on that. And also acknowledging, you know, it wasn't necessarily as kind of planned, you know, getting, uh, you know, second job on two different floors and staying a little bit longer than you thought. And uh, you brought up kind of a natural uh, progression for us in this podcast here with, you know, transitioning to your experience with the Coyotes, which I know Victor will get in here in a sec, but just kind of touching back on that story you mentioned, you know, helping out at Fenway Park, uh, you know, especially for you, as you mentioned, you know, having family in the area, having gone to school in Boston, that's, you know, obviously something yeah, I would love to help out, but it's really kind of taking those initiatives, taking those steps to where, again, you're kind of in a position where you can help. And funny too, of the timing of this podcast, as you know, this past year, the Winter Classic was back at Fenway Park and they had a handful of outdoor games. So timing of that is uh is really funny and interesting too. So I was gonna say that it's interesting because I feel like in my role in operations as well, I'm always trying to reach out to my coworkers. And even if their job is in equipment or athletic training or player support, there's still ways that you can kind of help out if it's not necessarily what was written in your job description. And you really summed it up perfectly by just going out and accepting a whole nother second job. So definitely a uh, a credit to you on uh, on that part, Jeff. Really glad to hear about that. Thank so. you. It was very uh, rewarding. 
No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Even though there's challenges along the way, you know, big picture, as you look back to hear that it's so rewarding, makes it all worth it. So kind of on that note, as uh, just kind of preface there, we'll dive into a little bit more on kind of that transition, you know, back away from the league side. I'll pass it off to Victor to dive into some of your experience with the Coyotes here. So I, I think you already kind of know my question, Jeff. I know when we spoke last, um, you know, I was working with the Iowa Wild and obviously a lot of those people that were, or at least two of those people that worked there at the time that I was, um, one was Kyle, who was my boss, and then Dan, who was actually my manager that helped me kind of grow there. You had the pleasure to, to work with both of them there. And um, they always told me on how much, you know, development of you trying to, you know, help them to the best. And, you know, like you you're saying there, being able to, to grow their careers as well as, you know, help them um, on their, on that end. What was like, I guess, like the big, obviously the big reason was to kind of be able to be closer to, to family and everything, but what kind of did you learn during those times, um, you know, being a kind of a more, you could say smaller organization um, when it comes to the, um, you know, how much you guys are, are able to, to do. And obviously just the, the role that you played there under the ticket sales um, and strategy. Well, I had a huge advantage because what I didn't tell you while I was doing those dual roles at the NHL, and because I was working with 30 of the clubs at the time uh, for ticketing strategy, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly asked me if I wouldn't get involved more involved with the coyotes and so when the nhl uh, had the coyotes through bankruptcy uh, for four four seasons i was the responsible person to be boots on the ground so often i'd work a week in new york and then a week in arizona a week in new york a week in arizona and you wouldn't know where i was because you know mobile phone and a laptop and uh, other than maybe maybe the weather, you know, that it was a, a tip off, but you wouldn't know where it was. So I knew that organization inside out because I was going back and forth uh, and and dealing with them, not only on a ticket sales standpoint, but corporate sponsorship, marketing, a uh, little CR. Uh, and I knew all the, the team members there. So for me, it was an easy transition to go back to the team I just had to get used to the new ownership group. And what was interesting is um, I actually, they wanted me out there for the first week of the season while I was still working at the NHL. So I asked if I could take my vacation to be out there so we could kick the season off together as a group and, and leadership team. So I took my vacation. Then I went back to the league for about two and a half, three weeks to to serve my notice, if you will, and then transition back to the Coyotes, but wouldn't you know it, I come back and the first game, official game that, you know, I saw um, the commissioner and deputy commissioner on opening night, they happened to be there. So I was able to talk to them about leaving, formally talk to them about leaving while we're in the suite. Uh, but when I got back, we were playing Detroit and wouldn't you know it, Mike Smith hits, hits the open net with a fraction of a second left to score a goal on my first game back. So you're higher than high, but then Halloween rolls around Halloween, October 31st. And we have 7,401 in attendance for that game. And I, I know that because it used to sit at the top of my, my computer as a never again. And so don't you know, the next, next business day I have a talk with the, the new ownership group and 
They're not happy. 7,401. And they said, this is never going to happen again. And I said, you're right. You know why? Because we're never going to play a game on Halloween ever again. And I want to be involved in the submission of dates with hockey and the building so that we never end up playing on Halloween again. It's a bad date. You know, to my knowledge, I don't think they've ever played on Halloween. In fact, I've never in any other subsequent stop played on Halloween again because it was that catastrophic for us. Uh, I, I vividly remember it was against Nashville and I was uh, I had an executive visit visiting from Nashville that I was uh, meeting with and we we're both just shaking our heads like ugly, ugly. Um, but, you know, I'm a butts and seats guy and, you know, sales, service, strategy, op, and I knew we could recruit the team and uh, put a high high priority on professional development. Um, so, you know, recruiting, training, onboarding, training. So you mentioned Kyle, you mentioned Dan. I mean, we, we were very blessed to be able to attract um, some serious talent to the Coyotes and develop them over the years and retain them, which was a, a big challenge, as you know, in this industry. And retain them for three, four, five years, and and uh, you know each incremental year they're they're much wiser, and you work harder and smarter, and and uh, you feel more comfortable, and so I felt blessed uh, not only with the leadership team, but uh, the depth of the the ticket sales service ops department, and even uh, other business units. Like I didn't oversee premium, but they sat right outside my doors course i'm going to interface with them and exchange ideas and help wherever i can right we're, we're all in it together type thing but um it, it really came down to very supportive league and and giving us um resources to make that transition and and an awesome ownership group that was nine star was nine different individuals that turned into 10 and uh felt like we got the the support we needed to make it happen and had a terrific leader in uh, our president and CEO. Um, so that, you know, that helps set the tone too. It's crazy you say that Mike Smith thinks I, I remember watching that, that game too. And when he did that, and I mean, he's still playing to this day, granted he's, you know, he's been kind of injured uh, for the, for the most part, but I mean, he still played last season on the Edmonton Oilers as goalie and he was doing pretty darn well for a guy, I think is now past 40 years. So um, I think he's going to have a, still a longer career ahead of him. Victor, this is the first time remind, remember, this is the first time that I cheered in six years, right? It was, it was prohibited <laughs> or expected not to cheer. And so when I, I, you know, I came, came out of my boots because I was just, I hadn't seen a, a live goalie uh, goal before, you know, score a goal before, but uh, it was, it was great. Cause that, that, that was a, a moment, you know, high moment, low moment shortly thereafter. But, you know, once we got on track, um, it was a terrific run. And again, you know, we went through two other ownership changes in the time that I was there, which is never easy um but it was uh you know it was great because i i was also able to have good work-life balance and you know I, I think we probably talked about this way back when you know when i was single i could make any decision i wanted right pack up the card 
drive to Georgia, had never been step foot in Georgia and go to work for a hockey team in Atlanta, right? Like um, when you get engaged, you know, it's a joint or married, it's a joint decision. Uh, and then when you have children, it's a family decision. And so that, that maturation or that process uh, evolution, um, you, your dynamic changes a little bit where maybe you're uh, less, uh, less flexible in terms of relocating or um, working so many hours where you can't get at least some balance. Um, but I, I did like having a lot of family here um, still here in Scottsdale, but I like, I like having a lot of family here because that helped me make that transition and dive back in on the team side and then, and then build it. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to, to have done that. It was, it was great. I actually followed the president CEO to Ottawa with the senators and, uh, inherited a fantastic team there, uh, not only of talent, but people. Uh, the city was beautiful. The people em embraced me um, professionally, personally. Um, actually, talk about small world. I'm, I'm going to Mexico for a wedding next week of my flatmates from Ottawa um, that I, you know, we lived in the same, same uh, town home. But, um, you know, you got to want to, you got to be open to that kind of stuff. You got to want to do that. Right. So, um, again, I, I probably would have never left Ottawa if it wasn't for the pandemic and the restrictions and what have you, but, um, um, I don't miss it, you know, after better than three decades, I don't miss it because I'm on the periphery and I still talk, you know, to the Buccaneers, the Blackhawks, you know, like all, all these people that I know, I still keep in touch with them. I, I still see him at the conference, so it's uh, it's been a good good transition. It's exciting to to hear that, and I'm hoping to to make it 35 years in the sports industry. Like like you said, though, like things change when you're when you're single. It's easier to to relocate. And I guess it never it makes sense, right? But I never thought of it. Like now, I have a girlfriend, and like it's a little bit harder, right? Because like yeah, they say that oh, I'm fine moving anywhere, but like what's well, anywhere right they they have have a priority there too i have family here which was a big reason why i came to, to seattle too is i have a lot of family here um but like you're now like the next decision i make is you know really not just my decisions you know my girlfriend and i's decision to, to make and i think you bring up a good point too with family um you know it's even harder than with the pandemic i mean gosh i think that was like the hardest time for ryan and i we were in school trying to get experience and you know, primarily they couldn't do it because there wasn't events going on. There wasn't really experiences going on. So we had to kind of brainstorm. And I mean, at that time, that's when we kind of brainstormed this podcast to try to, you know, find ways to, to put our, our name out there. And um, having awesome guests like yourself there is, is very, very helpful. I'm kind of curious what, when it comes to, you know, all the teams that you work for, obviously we're kind of ticket sales side. Was there any like ticket uh, package that you, you know, you were able to, to make for, you know, maybe the fans of some sort of like, where you're like, wow, this was a really good idea. And that maybe even is still um, being used to this day. Yeah. Uh, two, two uh, products. One, uh, what people will call as flex packs or coupon books or what have you, you use those in um, 
1991 in Atlanta with the Atlanta Knights, which is the farm team of the Tampa Bay Lightning at the time. And um, our one of our owners was also a top regional person for um, Ringling Brothers. And so he loved the concept because they used something similar uh, for their events. And, and so that that was great because it was sort of a ticket plan for every fan. There was ultimate flexibility. So yes, you had the full seasons and the half seasons and the and the mini packs, but this was like a micro pack. Like this was a, a very flexible. You want to redeem all 10 for one game? Go ahead and do it. You want to redeem two for five games? So I was really um, pleased with that. And we actually used that years later on the major league level at, uh, at other markets too, because it was that popular. Uh, and then the other one was with the Tampa Bay Lightning when we were playing out of what is now Tropicana Field, but then called the Thunderdome in St. Petersburg. And so, you know, I, I joined the Lightning at the end of their inaugural season where they're playing in the fairgrounds with 10,000 seats tops in what was a converted cattle um, barn, if you will. And they put it, I think some of the high school rinks had better setups than, than the Lightning did the first year. But immediately at the end of that year, they started um, working with the Thunderdome to go over to, to St. Petersburg, which was 28,000 plus seats, more than that. But 28,000 where you could actually get a glimpse of the rink from within the, what is now baseball field. But um, we introduced and coined a, a ticket called the atmospheric ticket. And the atmospheric ticket was that you could get into the very first playoff game and playoff games ever in the history of lightning against the Philadelphia Flyers. And we would walk that building seat by seat by seat. And if you could see even a sliver of the rink, and when I say sliver of the rink, you couldn't see, but just a portion of the ice, we would designate that as an atmospheric seat, meaning you're in the building for this event and you can hear the crowd and you could see the crowd. And we set up down on the center field was a fan land. And then left field, we had a high end a hospitality tent and then we put up big screen tvs um, down the third baseline first baseline where you couldn't see the ring you, you just couldn't but um we were able to blow that out where non-hockey fans said hey for five dollars i'm coming out and getting a ticket and we had twenty-eight thousand one eighty-three for the flyers first flyers uh, game and for the first time in my career <laughs> when i was down on the rink uh, level, I got chills because when I saw this crowd and outside of these special event games, like Heritage Classic, Winter Classic, stuff like that the, the, in the stadiums, Tampa Bay Lightning have all the top crowds mm. because no one had the capacity that, you know, yes, um, you know, Chicago's uh, over 20,000 and Montreal's over 20,000. Tampa was high, you know, high. 1920 um but no one could touch those capacities i mean we'd have 23,000 at a at a lightning game and people would be like disappointed <laughs> you know and i'm like 23,000 they're building a new arena in manchester england 
at 23,000 capacity called Co-op Live. And they have musicians like Harry Styles, and, um, you know, as consultants and stuff. This is being built primarily for music and other events. Like 80% of the events will not be sports, but the, their capacity is going to be 23,000. That'll be the largest arena in Europe, right? We'd have 23,000 people would be disappointed. And and the other product at the Lightning, I thought that was unique, is we at the time we had ninety nine dollars season tickets, so you could see Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky for two dollars and forty one cents. So you buy a whole season ticket for ninety nine dollars. Now, mind you, it was in general admission, so you didn't have a reserve seat, but you know, um, it worked. So those are some unique products that I think changed how we looked at things um, more more global, expand the product line. Again, a ticket plan for every fan type thing. Does that does that answer your question? I don't know if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, it, no, it, it answers. I was just curious because I know when I was with the Wild, there was a lot of things that we kind of tried to brainstorm. And I'll be honest, I don't think I've heard any of those besides the flex, the flexibility, you know, doing those flex tickets. I think that's huge for fans. I mean, for us here, heck, we have a, our new thing is a return ticket credit program where people can return tickets. They can use it for renewals for, for next season, which is a change here. And it just gives people that flexibility. Like you said, like we want them to, to buy into the full season, right? There's more perks and everything. Uh, but also we want to make sure that they're going to be here for the long run. So what can we do as an organization to, to do that? And I think, you know, you gave up, gave some great examples of what you were able to do to get butts and seats at that time too. I think subscriptions are another one, right? They never existed in professional sports, but you, you always, we always say do your R and D, right? Research and development, but it's really rip off and duplicate. It's, it's, that came from Edmonton, right? The Oilers R and D do your R and D because, you know, subscriptions didn't come from sports. It came from other, other examples. I mean, even, even, uh, you know, marketing campaigns, like, Tampa Bay Lightning's, and you guys maybe never even heard of it, but when I was there, they had a, a simple slogan, kick ice. Well, kick ice was generated, from my knowledge, from a commercial. Volkswagen had a commercial where they're going around the corner and it's like, kick a little asphalt. And and somebody at the agency is like, kick a little asphalt, kick ice, kick, you know, you know, rough, tough, right? And it stuck. Next thing you know, there's bumper stickers and, you know, you're on Clearwater Beach, uh, you know, schlepping tickets and, and branding uh, merchandise and what have you. But like, it's it's all R&D, right? It's, you're looking at other other things that may fit into that one voice, if you will, right? Yeah, no doubt. That's a really awesome insight uh, on that front, Jeff. I wanted to quickly kind of dive back uh, a little bit earlier when you were kind of talking about, you know, how when you were early in your career, when you were single, there wasn't as much, you know, kind of restrictions for moving around or going to do some place. And then as you, you know, developed a little bit more with, you know, your wife, your family, and, you know, now your daughter, you know, how has things, how have you noticed like the impact of your family kind of impacting, you know, your career decisions? Like what were some of those kind of big challenges for you, uh, you know, in going through that understanding that of course you want the, what's best for your career. And that's obviously how you start out. You're like, oh yeah, I'm just looking to gain experience, do whatever network move, any of that. But as you, you know, develop further in your career and with your family, how did you notice that? 
that that became a little bit more of a challenge? And then what also would you recommend to people uh, in terms of overcoming that as they may have that on their career horizon as well? Well, we, we lucked out because, and a lot of, a lot of people are in this situation, like uh, my wife was in banking. So we were mobile enough where she, she actually did very well as we relocated and, and often got promoted and, and be, better roles. So, but teaching is another one, right? Something where they, that you can pick up and, and go to multiple states or, or even potentially multiple countries. Um, for me, it's just striking that balance. Like the family, um, you make certain compromises and certain sacrifices, right? Even the, the family does, but I always um, incorporated them into what I was doing. Like, you know, take your daughter to work day was, or take your child to work day was great because Maddie went to, to the NHL offices and loved it. And she went to the Coyotes and, you know, they signed her to a contract or she was up on the big scoreboard. Like, you know, so the little things like that, um, or taking the family to an open house, uh, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday so that you could be there. And yes, you're working, but you, you know, they participate and they, they live, they live what you're living. Um, and then, you know, I think it's easier today to, to make some uh, of these decisions that we didn't make in the past because remote work has really opened things up. But like I, I scratch my head thinking back, like why after a game night, then when you got out at 10, 15 at night and then had to drive home, why did we have to be back in the office at 9 a.m. the next day? Why couldn't some people have been back in the office and then other ones have a nice breakfast, you know, with their family and, and, and uh, work remotely and come in, you know, at lunchtime or whatever. Like, so it's, it's evolved. Um, you know, there are some silver linings there, but to me, I always like to get them to, to, uh, be a part of it and right down to mer merchandise. I mean, I, I, I used to wear a lot of branded, um, uh, stuff. Like I was a walking billboard, you know, and even <laughs> casually would go out, go out to dinner and had nothing to do with work. It's like, can you not wear a coyotes golf shirt? <laughs> you know, you know, can you wear a regular shirt like everybody else? You know, it's, so, you know, you can go, you can go overboard, but having that, having that, uh, balance and that discussion you 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 work through it right as far as you know whether you're mobile or not and whether you're moving we we would do a little exercise where we created a box and said what's important to us and then as we were recruited or had an opportunity to evaluate if it hit in the box we would take it if it didn't we never forced it uh, and i remember you know, I remember an offer from an, from an NFL team that didn't fit in the box and there wasn't anything I could do to influence that to fit in the box. And I turned it down and they weren't happy with me. In fact, I, you know, one person was screaming at me. I put the phone across my wife sitting right next to me going, what is this all about? <laughs> um, but we just never forced it, right? It, it had to fit and and when I say fit, it wasn't just title, compensation, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was the ease of the move. It was, um, you know, evaluation of school, schools, you know, uh, family, you know, uh, a, a variety of factors. But it, it was, we were set on that. Um, 
And I, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a, a, a great mentor right out of the shoot, the late William E. Barnes uh, with the Whalers. And um, that guy taught me so much at 22 years of age, you know, that I still use today and still do it. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I, you know, I, I caught a break very, very early in my professional life and was able to not look back, but you, 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 sometimes you wonder, what if, you know, what if I didn't get that start? Um, because it wasn't just get it working for them during the summer while I was going to school, right? That was a great job to get your foot in the door, but then it was getting hired after graduation. You know, there, there was 35 people in the entire organization. I've had departments the size of 72 people. You know, that was the size of the entire team organization and you're like is there one job there for me is it going to open up and you know timing timing's everything as they say right i was being forced by my parents to look at other opportunities and i needed to find a full-time job by september 1st so i'm interviewing with banks investment firms right companies i did, didn't even my heart wasn't in i didn't want to work for them. and on august 15th on a Friday, my boss says, can I see you in my office? Friday afternoon. I'm like, what, what is this all about? I've never been called in his office. Go in his office. He closes the door. I'm like, this can't be good. And he said, I just resigned my position. And I'm recommending you for the job. And my knees are knocking underneath the table. You know, I'm your guy. I'm ready for the challenge. <laughs> you know, right? I'm like, wow. Yeah. Two weeks later, I'm not working there. Because I'm my hands being forced by my family to say, get a job. We paid all this money for you to go to Boston University. You got to find a job two weeks later. The sad thing about this, my gain, someone else has lost because there was a gentleman by the name of Fran um, that worked with me who left the Whalers on August 1st and by far the most qualified person to take over that department. He left on August 1st and went to an investment firm and when he found out that that opening occurred, he put his name in the hat and they said, we are looking at internal candidates first. So he never got a sniff. Mm. And I look back at that saying, just, it was just a lucky break, right? Because I could have been him two weeks later, but you know, that's life. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, like, you know, how do you know, how do you ever know? Right. And I'm convinced, I mean, you go to work for an organization on paper, looks right. You, your interview went well, it sounds right, right? But until you get there and you live it day to day, how do you truly know it is the perfect fit? Or you could be the perfect fit like I was at Tampa Lightning for the first several years. Dynamic changed up top and I didn't, I didn't agree with the core values or lack thereof and direction and stuff like I just I knew my wife knew it was that obvious. And we look at each other and say, we need to change our latitude and start looking at other opportunities. Right. And that's when I crossed over for the very first time to work for the Rockets and the Comets. So I went to NBA and WNBA. And I got to tell you that that goes as a top three uh, moment of my career. Not because we had Barkley, Olajuwon, Drexler. It was because we won the championship, inaugural championship of the WNBA with Cynthia Cooper and Tina Thompson and the late Kim Parat 
Cheryl Swoops was on that team, but she wasn't playing because she was on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. So, like, and they won four straight championships. I was there for the first two years and then moved to Chicago. But, like, that was a blast for me. We had an arena football team, too. That was the first for me. But, you know, it was a burnout job. But, you know, at the time, my wife was working um, for a bank, and we didn't have any children. So it was... Yeah. Let's uh, grab as much experience as you can. You 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 guys will look back in in a few years and say, "Ha, ah, Jeff was right." <laughs> I'm going I'm going through the same evolution. Yep. You're just previewing what's coming up for us. <laughs> no, but sky's the limit for you guys. You you're doing way more at an earlier stage than I ever did or could. Right? There's I, we just didn't have. Um, the technology or the opportunities, you know, no doubt. Yeah. I, th- I think it's also important talking about like making the right decision, right fit. Like I think, you know, with, with where I was in my career, early career, like, you know, you got to understand kind of where you want to see yourself. And like you said, it's all right to have an organization, maybe not think um, what you think, but you have to also look at yourself and believe that, Hey, are, am I going to be truly happy here? If I'm not like, you don't want to hurt the organization. Um, the organization obviously doesn't want to do anything towards you. And I always say there's an organization for everyone. Um, if that means like, you know, one organization, they can change based off leadership. And uh, for me, like, did I see myself working in soccer? Probably not. But like, like you said, an opportunity comes up and you either can take it or you don't take it. And then you, you know, you might be kicking yourself for the the next couple months trying to get another opportunity and with the sports industry it's so competitive we have a co-host here who has been trying to trying to get a position for quite some time here and so we understand how, how tough it is and you know just with the feedback that we've gotten through our conversations um, with you Jeff it's it's important to to bring out the networking part so my, my last question here until we go to Flash Fridays is with those networking opportunities People always say, as long as you get that first position and you network, you won't ever have to apply for a job again. Is that true? Um, and then, you know, for you with networking, was that kind of where you got most of your op- opportunities when it came to other teams or even leagues? Absolutely. I, I always try to um, come away with a reference, a strong reference like my boss uh, or someone on that level but then also to have the relationships with my, my coworkers, because, you know, I, I, some of the coworkers that I worked with in 1984, 85, 86 worked with me in 2001 at the Chicago bears. Like think about that. Like I worked in multiple cities in multiple sports with some of the same people because there was a trust and, um, you know, we liked each other and worked well and clicked and stuff to complete each other's sentences at some, some points, right? You know, so I always try to develop, you know, someone that could help help me get to the next place, but that like mentor, if you will, or semi-mentor. Um, and then also people that, that I work with that I really enjoyed working with because um, often what, what I saw in later stages of my career is people would move with each other to other opportunities because they were a cohesive team. And so you could, um, it was an easier transition when you're transitioning together, but then you could also add 
additional teammates to the mix, right? It wasn't just be clicky. It was, okay, let's see how we can can build this together. And uh, so I keep in touch. Um, I keep in touch with so many people. I'm actually doing a project right now on the side, time permitting, of I'm listing every single teammate that I've had since 1984 and going team by team. Because uh, I still keep in touch touch with them. Uh, you know, I'll, next time in, I'm in the UK, I'll see someone that I worked with at the Whalers back in the day who, who's lived there for years. Um, again, it's a much smaller world than, than you think, but build those relationships, right? Build those relationships where they will support you and validate you and help you. Um, you know, I, I uh, spend a lot of time uh, with references. And I know a lot of organizations can't give them out or what have you. Uh, so if that's the case, I'll do it as a personal personal reference, just me, not ALSD or what have you. But um, that goes a long way in terms of, you know, getting noticed. I, I happen to send in, um, in two emails out to two different teams on behalf of a candidate that I highly endorse. And while he's already applied for both of those jobs, it's just another avenue by which to bubble his name up um, so that they give uh, give him consideration. But um, to me, it's just, you know, it comes down to relationships. Build those relationships. doesn't matter whether it's upward, you know, laterally. Um, even, even the young, you know, let's be honest. I mean, some of the, younger um, professionals that I've worked with like entry level or even uh, seasonal, you know, have real, my payoff, my payoff in the 35 years of sports is to see where all those, those professionals and people are today. And it's like a coach's tree, right? You know, and I look and I, I'm shaking my head because I'm like, I will be working for one of those people someday here as I semi-retire. You know, and that's true. And that's true. They're that they've reached that that level now where you're like, I'll be darned. You know, I talked to a guy yesterday that's working um, in the business. He was 12th out of 12 members on our Tampa Bay Lightning staff. He's an executive vice president now. <laughs> you know, and I look back at him. He's such a, a young professional right out of college, you know. Of it, and to see them now as polished as they get, you know, and I'm just like, we only played a little part in that development, a little part in that development, but there's still a sense of pride because that's what I was afforded when I broke in. And, and that, that's my, my philosophy and our philosophy as a family is to be the stepping stone for the next generation. And my late mentor challenged me on that said, why can't you do the same thing professionally? Be a stepping stone. Um, for the, for the next generation, so I see kids of coworkers that work with me in the industry now. That's when I knew I had to get out in the picture, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, it's, it's it comes down to relationships. You got to want to, you got to be open to to doing it in a natural way, right? 
Yeah, no doubt. I always think back, like, you know, those relationships, they have to be kind of those two way streets where you're both putting in effort to, you know, help each other out. And definitely a big credit to you, Jeff, for, you know, taking that time to, you know, seek out some of those people that you used to work with, you know, long, long times ago to find out where they are, because some people, you know, they may have these long careers, but, you know, they kind of lose touch a little bit with some of those people that, you know, they previously worked with or, um, you know, came in contact with. So, you know, like we said, uh, kind of earlier in the podcast, you know, doing that follow up, and uh, keeping in touch with those people is really a great way to continue to grow, you know, not only yourself, but to see that growth in other people as well is is very rewarding, uh, as you said, even if it's just a small role uh, as a part of that. So really well said and uh, definitely goes a long way in terms of, you know, a, a big reason we wanted to have you on the podcast was to provide, uh, you know, our listeners with an opportunity to just reach out to, you know, someone else who has a, a, as much experience as you have, uh, you know, working in and around sports. So on that note, we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit, Jeff, we're going to have to put you on the hot seat. This is the end of our podcast segment we call Flash Friday. So we like to give our listeners a little bit better insight into your personality and who you are uh, more so than even just a sports professional. So my first question, uh, it goes back to a lot of the experiences that you've have. You've lived kind of all around North America, you know, working in and around sports. And I'm going to omit Arizona, you know, your current location in this question. But what is the favorite city that you have lived in? So not taking into account the sports team you were with or the success of the WA team in uh, in Houston. What was just the, the city alone? What was your favorite city uh, that you've been able to live in, excluding, uh, you know, in it being in Arizona? My initial reaction was going to be Chicago, but I'm going to stand by Atlanta. Okay. First, first time I was there, I met my wife. Second time I was there, we had our only child. There you go. Very, very special city. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Just go right with the family. Go with Atlanta. <laughs> I like those answers. That's uh, that's a really great one. I uh, I've been to Atlanta myself. I went to a uh, college football game at the new uh, Atlanta Falcon Stadium, and that's a beautiful uh, stadium as well. So definitely have some uh, some good memories of being in Atlanta myself as well. So really like that answer. My last one before I pass it over to Victor for his Flash Friday questions. I know uh, we talked before this podcast started about how you have a passion for hiking, and that's a big thing you can do in Arizona. I think traditionally, you know. Golf is also big in Arizona, so you can kind of take this however you want. But essentially, let's say you're going outdoors, you're either going on a hike, you're going golfing. You can pick three other people to have that experience with. Who would those three people with? They can be dead or alive, uh, you know, in or out of sports. Who would three people be with that you would love to go out either on the golf course or go on a hike with? Any person. Anybody. Anybody you want. I'd love to go on a hike uh, with Oprah. Okay. I, it's a it's a, it's a great answer yes in there huh but <laughs> I, I would love to pick her brain you know um i would well i would say the late gordy howe because i really enjoyed many many times with him but would love to talk to him again um and then i guess the third person would be uh my grandfather my late grandfather Awesome. I lost him when I was a high school senior. Uh, that would be great. Love that group. Uh, you'd get a diverse group uh, without a doubt in that one. I don't know how far a hike we would go with that, <laughs> with that, with that crew, but uh, it'd be a good time. I'd stretch it out as long as I could. <laughs> 
Yeah, no doubt. And you want to stay on Gordy Howe's good side because uh, you don't want to get him out of hand where he's starting throwing punches on you trying to get a Gordy Howe hat trick somehow on the uh, on the hiking streets. Believe me, he put me to shame when I first started working with him at the Whalers and he was in his 50s and he was as strong as an ox. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. All right. Love that response, Victor. I'll pass it off to you. Yeah, my, my first question is, I mean, we're all hockey guys here. Um, we're all, you know, past halfway through the NHL season right now. What team do you think is going to gonna win it all? And then what team do you think is a sleeper team that uh, may just be on the horizon of barely making the playoffs but going for a deep run? Oh, wow. You really put me on the spot here, huh? Uh, Carolina's caught my attention. Uh, very much so. Uh, and then... Uh, and I don't know that I, I wouldn't qualify them as a sleeper because they're up top two or three, right? Um, I'm a Bruins fan, so they've totally shocked me this year. I did not expect this kind of run because of the injuries that they had coming into the season and some missing pieces that they signed late. Um, so uh, I know it's hard to call the number one team in the league a a sleeper pick for you, but I, I'd like to see that team break through. Most uh, most people here are talking abs again, abs, abs, abs. But uh, it's 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 nice to see how competitive the NHL really is. I mean, on any given night, I still haven't counted my Senators out either. I'm expecting a, a meaningful game in April uh, for the Senators, but they got to come out uh, as hot as they they uh, left uh, for break. Well, well, you're welcome on uh, giving you guys Cam Talbot because we were having some goalie issues on the on the back end. So if you guys do make, I wanted to say that we we did a, a you know could say Vesna Trophy winner last season, but obviously you had Sasurkin and a lot of other top players there. Um, so you played hockey. What position did you play? So I never played ice hockey. Okay, uh, I actually played deck hockey uh, on in my sneakers running on the deck hockey surface. Uh, I. Uh, played center or wing, but I uh, love to play left wing as a right shot. So I could pass on my backhand, but I always had a more open angle to to shoot, to to try to score some goals. So I, I love playing a left wing as a right shot. Okay. And I played, and I played very competitive deck hockey uh, in New England with a lot of college and some professional players. Okay. So my, my follow-up to that question is, I know you already said Gordy House, so that's off the table. You can't uh, say that he'll be on your line. But what line would you want um, if you're, say, your forward line there, your right, your left wing uh, with the the right shot there? Um, what who would you have on your line and why? And and keep in mind, we're we're going back to like your time where like you you're gonna want a tough guy on your line because it's more of a a bashing type. So who would you have on your line there and why? I think I'd have to move over to right wing because I'd want Stan Jonathan on my left, my left wing, tough as nails, pound for pound, right? Uh, I actually really admired Ron Francis as uh, one of the top two-way I think you could argue he's one of the top two, two-way centers maybe with Mark Messier. Um, but I, I just, he's classy guy. Um, but if, if, if we're talking fantasy, I'd move back to, to right defense because I want to play with the, the best, my favorite player of all time, Ray Bork. So I, I'd give up the, the wing position to, to move back and, and be a turnstile, just watch him work his magic, you know. Look, look at that, continuing to, to show it, you know, and help him 
be able to be on your line. You said, I'll, I'll, I'll step one back and I'll, I'll play the defensive part and try to shut well, down another team. I, I've got to meet Bobby Orr, got to meet Ray Bork, uh, Cam Neely is tough. Another, I'm again, I'm more of a Bruins guy, so I would lean on, on the, you know, the Rick Middletons and Barry Petersons and those kind of players. But, um, yeah, Ray Borks was something else. I, I started following him in 79, 80 and, and never stopped. Um, yeah. And actually have uh, his uh, number seven jersey from that seven, uh, from the gift shop, but uh, Authentic's number seven jersey. A lot of people don't even know Ray Bork wore number seven uh, before he gave it up uh, when Phil Esposito's number was retired and took 77. So that's, uh, yeah. I'm dating, I'm dating myself a little bit. I was going to say, Ryan and I weren't uh, quite ready to even be kind of seeing the world. So I'm glad that, that you're kind of giving us some some background of, you know, the good old days, you could say, it, when when Ryan and I were still, you know, kind of trying to figure out if we we're going to be making it to to the world here. So it's cool. Well, that, uh, and you guys see, have seen a whole different generation of players that are bigger, and faster and strong. I mean, it's just it's hard to compare. Right. You know. When you when you look back through through the decades, it's hard hard to compare players uh, of different eras because the they're they're fantastic. I mean, I marvel at at the game today versus where it was. Spent a lot of time on YouTube watching old videos of different games and just scratching. They weren't some of them weren't even wearing helmets back then. You know, yeah. Go figure. In any case, is that it for for? Uh, yeah, that, that you're off the off the hot seat. I like the those are the I was gonna say those are the first questions that came to my mind because I um I like to make sure you're following the NHL as well, not just the college hockey there. So I wanted to put you on the blender, but obviously you did your research prior, and you know Ryan and I are big hockey people in general, so it probably wasn't too too difficult there. But um, when we wrap up here, what's uh what's a good way for our, our members to to reach out to you, Jeff. I know LinkedIn is something you obviously said multiple times, but just in general for our members. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is great. Or even my uh, ALSD uh, email address is really simple. It's jeff at ALSD.com. Jeff at ALSD.com or LinkedIn. Um, I respond uh, to four different emails, um, hmm. but I, I, I'm staying on LinkedIn quite a bit today. Uh, nowadays you know but i'm i'm happy to uh to respond to the email um uh, through the alsd um or cell phone 480-640-3156 so whatever works yeah we're well we're, we're glad to hear that and you know you make it when your uh, email is much shorter than mine which is you know victor a at sounders fc.com i mean it's, it can be a lot to, to handle so um, we're, we're happy that we were able to have you as, as a guest, Jeff, here, and we want all of our listeners to reach out to you. And um, as much as Ryan and I get feedback from our listeners, we want them to be able to reach out to our guests here. So we, we thank you here, and um, we'll see you guys next time. Appreciate it. Thank you.